Well, welcome back. As we head into hour three, there are a few people I wanted to talk to more today than our next guest, who often most usually joins us Wednesday afternoons on our ride home, and that's Congressman John Shattuck, formerly representing the old Arizona 4th Congressional District. He is the head of Shattuck Associates. Uh, welcome back to the show, John. How you doing? Uh, I'm thrilled to be back on the show, uh, and especially at kind of an interesting or chaotic time for uh, Republicans in Congress and the Congress uh, itself. Yeah, you need to help me out here. This isn't an original thought. I saw this earlier today, but I, I thought I understood how government worked. And then I woke up to realize Maryland now has three senators and we have no Speaker of the House of Representatives. When you consider that Maryland has Chris Von Holland and Ben Cardin, and of course now the person to replace Diane Feinstein, but we don't have a Speaker of the House. Uh, th- I didn't learn this in Schoolhouse Rock, John. Uh, that's because it's actually not true. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I mean, we have a Speaker pro tem, which is not the same as having a Speaker, and uh, Maryland, I guess, is just lucky, and, and uh, <laughs> Governor of California. Uh, apparently thinks uh, Californians don't need as much representation in the Senate as they have. Yeah. <laughs> or that there are any other qualified, uh, what was his criteria, black females or African-American women yep. uh, in the state of California, including one named Barbara Lee, who's actually uh, running for that very seat. You, you, you've you served with Barbara Lee probably, haven't you? I, I did serve with Barbara Lee. Uh, and she's as far left as you can yeah, get yeah. without falling off the edge of the world. Yeah, I was looking yep. up her bio. Black former former Black Panther, former assistant to Ron Dellums. I mean, that's that's pretty strong stuff. She she is way out there, no question about it. Uh, like I said, as far left as you can go without falling off the edge. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is kind of talking about those Democrats that we just did. It's kind of been my theme uh, for the last 24 hours, John. Why is it in the Republican Party that we spend 80 percent of our time attacking people we agree with more than 90 percent of the time, and we spend very little time attacking the people we agree with on nothing? I mean, we are really good at condemning ourselves. It is an abject disaster. There's no question about it. Um, and, and if people would hearken back to Ronald Reagan, where the last debate was held in his library, he said, you know, he said exactly that. I think I think he said, uh, you, you, you can't spend your time fighting or disagreeing or having intra-party fights with people that you agree with on, I don't know if he said 80 or 90 percent of the issues or 80 or 90 percent of the time and disagree with them uh, or and agree with them 10 or 20 percent of the time. That is just not productive. And yet that's exactly what we're doing once again, and it's not good. You've been through some of these when you served in Congress. Of course, you've observed it. Um, First, just a matter of practical uh, wisdom and politics. You're right. We have a speaker pro temp. My understanding is that that, because he wasn't elected by the body but rather was appointed by the outgoing speaker, his powers are very limited. It's not as if Congress can run as if they have a speaker of the House. Not really, correct? That's exactly right. Okay. His powers are limited, and uh, most importantly for uh, the American public, that means they basically can't do anything. They can't uh, name a post office. Uh, they can't uh, do substantive legislation or pro forma legislation. They're, they are treading water. 
So everything we were kind of poised to pull the trigger on, whether it was furthering the impeachment hearings or the impeachment inquiry hearings, whether it was a possible uh, resolution uh, against uh, 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 the New York congressman, uh, what was it, Jamal Bauman, or any number of these things, whether it was more legislation uh, to shore up the border or defund legislation, all of that just comes to a grinding halt right now. Which is a part of why I adamantly and uh, vociferously oppose what the eight members did. Um, If you look at where we are in America right now, uh, it is effectively an election year, uh, and there are things we have to do to win. And those things include addressing the issues that are of concern to the American public. And that list goes on and on. It's uh, inflation. It's the ability to buy food and gas. uh, It's... Um, the failure of the president uh, to deal with immigration in any way, shape, or form, which concerns people very deeply, and they're worried about the fact that we can't uh, take care of those people and they're a threat to our jobs. It's their concern about uh, foreign, foreign policy, which is, quite frankly, right now, humiliating uh, our embarrassing departure from Afghanistan, um, we're stuck now, it appears, in another endless war, which could move us from being the dominant power in the world to third or fourth. Uh, uh, we have the narrowest, the Republicans have the narrowest possible uh, majority. We have crime in the streets. Um, there are just so many things. Uh, parents are being told by Democrats that they should have no role in their child's decision to have a sex change and that teachers have the right to keep that information from the parents. Uh, And we decide, oh, this would be a great time to do a a government shutdown when when nobody is focused on it, except those of us that are maybe uh, uh, consumed by politics anyway. Um, It it is, in my view, uh, a a grave mistake. We may have lost you there. We may have lost. Are you here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I think we we lost you for a minute. You were saying it's a grave mistake. Um, Because it shows that Republicans are not paying attention to the average American family and not doing anything for them. You know, it's so it's you you list that litany. I have a litany that includes some of those things as well or all of those things, John. And it makes one really choke when they speak about American exceptionalism. I mean, it is amazing how fast this country went into decline. It's hard to say American is America is exceptional right now when you think about that list you just rattled off. It does make one want to make America great again, however that is defined, and I understand there are different definitions of it. The thing I have been trying to understand is what the distemper over Speaker McCarthy really was all about, because it seemed to be a shifting a shifting a target over time. If there is one theme that I think is, you know, agreed upon by the people that wanted to oust him from our side of the aisle, it was that they aren't able to get to regular order and do individual bills. This has been a problem for a long time. What? Why is that a problem, John? What is the diagnosis of that? Why can't we do that? I think the answer is members don't want to take responsibility for the votes. Uh, some Many members who come from marginal districts 
uh, live in fear that they might have to vote on a bill that isn't popular and they might have to take a stand, uh, whether it's for that bill or against that bill, and then their stand will be held against them. So it's a problem in part with leadership, but it's also a problem with members. In this instance, I think many of the conservatives uh, last spring and this summer uh, stopped some of those appropriations bills because they didn't like what was in them. And then one of the major charges against uh, Speaker McCarthy was, well, why didn't you get the 12 appropriations bills done? I mean, in all fairness, I think he could have stood up and said, because you guys blocked them. Yeah. Uh, there also is the, the concern that this is uh, personality driven or driven on some issue beyond sure. the good of the country. Sure. Uh, Mr. Gates, as you know, is under an ethics investigation. And some people will tell you that uh, that he blames Speaker McCarthy or former Speaker McCarthy for not having done enough to protect him. Uh, I am not a fan of Mr. Gates. Uh, I get it that uh, he is a principled conservative, and I think I was a very principled conservative. But elections and politics aren't just about principles. There are There's also strategy and tactics, and you have to do the work. And it seems to me... Uh, current Congresses haven't wanted to do the work, and so we, they've slipped into the habit, and this happened when I was there as well, of just cramming bills into massive spending uh, uh, omnibus legislation, and it's impossible to follow that and know what's in it. So there's plenty of blame to go around. Uh, why it happens, I think, is in part attributable to simply uh, a lack of discipline and a lack of accountability for their failure to do their job. You've made this very clear, and I want to I want to pick up on it when we come back from the break. Uh, you did a really good job of it. I saw Newt Gingrich speaking about this, uh, I think, last night as well. And I just want to do a little bit further, uh, if I can, with you for the audience, because it is an odd place, Congress. I mean, the rules are odd. You think you just need a majority for anything, and it's not really – it doesn't really work that way. And then, you know, you also have different factions within the House. Steve Miller, Trump aide, America First uh, Institute, I think it is, or America First Legal, was saying yesterday there's 12 different Republican caucuses, or at least 12 different kinds of Republicans in the House. It's like trying to govern France. We'll be right back with John Shattuck. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. One of my favorite people to ever serve in Congress, John Shattig, is our guest. He is the head of uh, pr- he is the president and founder of Shattig Associates here in town. John, you did a great job of explaining something that has been confounding to many people, and I just want to make sure I understand your explanation correctly over the question of why so many still use the continuing resolution gambit rather than have regular order where each department or each agency is funded individually. If I understand your explanation right, this would put meats on the bones of something Newt Gingrich said last night, which is, you know, a lot of these conservative members or so-called conservative members or self-described conservative members, to be fair, you know, they had options to go through regular order with individual funding legislation, but they would bicker over small amounts of money because like a $2 billion, uh, a $2 appropriation here, a a $1 billion appropriation there. And they would do so because they didn't want to be scored on it and they didn't want to be seen for having had to support it. So they went against it 
so that they can hide under a continuing resolution, an omnibus bill, if you wish. You don't get scored as badly, perhaps, in an omnibus piece of legislation where the entire kitchen sink is dumped in, and you don't have to hide or worry about being held accountable for those kinds of monies when they're tucked in there. I put that all with a question mark. Am I getting close to what you're trying to say here or what you have said? Is this about right? It's exactly right. Okay, okay. Uh, People, for one reason or another, do not want a vote on a relatively narrow issue, we'll say Defense Department spending yeah. or uh, uh, food stamp funding. Um, and so they want to hide that. Uh, at the end of the day, they'd just as soon have that come up in a uh, bigger bill. Right. And when the individual, 13 individual appropriations bills go through, uh, they want to grandstand one particular issue. Yeah. Now, I don't right. fault conservatives for... Uh, trying to point out to the nation that we are grossly overspending and getting ourselves in deep, deep financial trouble. Right. That, that, that They are absolutely right about that. And I would, I would say that you know, when you're fighting for principle, you know, that's a good thing. But at the end of the day, there's also getting the job done. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me if you want to deal with one of the biggest problems facing the nation – you need to make the case to the public first. A part of that is, uh, as you know, two-thirds or more, uh, the vast majority of federal spending is on what are called mandatory programs, right. such as Social Security uh, or Medicare. And you have Trump saying, well, I'm not going to touch either of those. So they have massive fights over the discretionary spending, which is what this fight was about. Uh, and uh, they really aren't doing, dealing with the problem for the nation, which is our, our ever-growing debt. Mm-hmm. And you can see Mr. Gates talk about that debt, and he's not wrong about it. But that's principle. There is also, There are also involved in politics two other issues, uh, strategy and tactics. And uh, right now, when we have a president that is putting the nation in grave danger uh, by his feckless foreign policy, where uh, w- we can't decide, are we really going to help Ukraine, or are we going to get out and let Russia roll over the top of them. Right now, it looks to me like he's simply funding Ukraine at a level that allows them to die. Uh, Sadly and tragically, Ukrainian soldiers and Ukrainian civilians, but doesn't allow them to win. Right. Uh, And and some Republicans are saying, well, no more uh, endless wars. I I get that sympathy. But if we decide to uh, abandon the world stage and to say to Russia, sure, this is just a territorial dispute, I think we're fooling ourselves. And, And some of those people... Some of the presidential candidates are making the case that uh, we can just walk away from this. Well, that's isolationism, and it might have worked when uh, Britain had to sail a wooden ship across the ocean. It doesn't work uh, when China has missiles that go uh, at speeds we can't even track. So I think you have to uh, have a strategy for how you're going to confront the Democrats. Look at all the crazy things they are doing. We have a president who I think has pretty clearly engaged in bribery and, quite frankly, uh, gone on camera and admitted it. Yeah. Uh, Burisma wants this prosecutor fired. His son works for Burisma. Uh, he gets the prosecutor fired, thinks that's really fun. Oh, cool, they fired the yeah. uh, prosecutor. And, and nobody knows at that time that he demanded and he or his son got at first, we thought it was $5 million each, and then we turn out it's maybe $20 million. Yep. Um, Corruption in the American government should be something that has 
the American people outraged. Yep. So I, I disagree vehemently with the timing of the eight. You know, it's interesting, John. I'll come back to some of the other things. But just on that point, I was listening to uh, an author of a brand new book on Biden on Dennis Prager's show earlier today. And Dennis asked him, and it's a very comprehensive book that just came out. And Dennis asked him, um, what was the one thing he couldn't find out about Joe Biden? It was such an interesting answer. You put your finger on it. He says, for the life of me, no one can figure out how much money any of the Bidens are worth. No one can figure this out. They have hidden this so well through so many serpentine arrangements. You just can't figure it out anymore, which is why uh, uh, Hunter Biden left his lobbying practice to become a consultant, because with lobbying, there's too much disclosure. Isn't that an interesting answer? No one has any concept of how much the Bidens are worth. I I think it's shocking. I think it ought to be revolting to the American public. He went into office. He would have us believe as the child of a working still blue collar Joe. A, yeah, that was his moniker. He gave Joe, himself. I don't think anyone else lives, called him that. He called himself that. Yeah, right. Now, now he lives in a multi-million dollar house with a multi-million dollar, if not waterfront, close to waterfront vacation home. Yeah. Uh, how, how did he do that? And and this notion that that to prove a bribery case, you have to actually trace the money paid to the individual right back into his back pocket or his bank accounts is ridiculous. If you can show that they got that somebody got paid, which benefited that individual, uh, for example, a son didn't get fired or a how old was the daughter that yeah. you know, she's like 12. Right. 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 What, what exactly did she do for this money? Right. Right. So we have big issues facing this country. And I do not believe this was the right time uh, to pick this particular fight. I, I think we need to be teaching the American people how messed up this administration is and how much damage it is doing in its plunge to the left on issue after issue. And can you imagine an administration that sends uh, FBI agents into uh, school board meetings right. to make sure the parents don't get right. a little emotional right. while they're complaining? Right. Right. Or 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 tar- or targets uh, or, or 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 targets Catholic charities and churches. Uh, right. because, because they, they, they oppose the administration on abortion policy. It's amazing, too, that the timing of this, because we were just on the cusp of really making a very good point in, sa- uh, in saturation about illegal immigration. We were just on the cusp. You are seeing Democratic lawmakers, governors, congressmen, mayors, now beginning to you know eat their words on illegal immigration just at the moment where we were about to be able to maybe convince the rest of the country that there's a big problem here and it's not just conservatives who are thinking about it. That's when we waved the white flag and decided to self-immolate. Let, let, me, let me go to a quick commercial break and come back to you on the problem of herding cats in the Congress. You've been, um, you've been, all, you've been well experienced in that in your 16 years in the House of Representatives. I want to get your take on that when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Congressman John Shadig is my guest, S-H-A-D-E-G-G. Um, John, uh, I was mentioning earlier uh, America First Legal, I think, is his home now. Steve Miller used to be part of the Trump administration, was making the point last night that the challenge of the Speaker of the House within the Republican caucus or the Republican Speaker of the House is that it's not really one or two factions in the in the House of Representatives with the Republican Party. He said he thinks there's something like 12. There's like 12 different kinds of factions. And I was 
you know, reminded of the old Charles de Gaulle line, it's impossible to govern a country with 246 varieties of cheese. You know, you have been a member of the Congress where there are, you know, different kinds of conservatives. You had to serve with those Maryland Republicans, for example, and uh, Maine Republicans. Um how, how, how do we make this thing all one thing or all the other? I mean, a house divided against itself. We learned from our first Republican president and from the Book of Matthew, I suppose, that uh, it cannot stand. It is a huge problem. And let me start the record. Uh, for, for the record, I I think I was Steve Miller's first employer on Capitol Hill. Oh, there. <laughs> that's great. OK. All right. Him, and uh, I think I hired him to handle press matters. Um, and uh, he didn't stay with me very long. I think he left to go either to a leadership office or to the Senate. Interesting. On this issue, he is right in that uh, the Republican conference is deeply splintered. Uh, There probably aren't 12 formal caucuses, but one of the rules in politics is that kind of your enemy or your opponent on the issue today may be your best friend, on an issue tomorrow. Yeah. And so uh, prudent politicians, people that have uh, watched politics for uh, a number of years and have watched legislative politics, figure out, you know what, I better not make an enemy out of this person uh, because, well, I'm vehemently opposed to him on this issue. Turns out uh, he's the only hope I have uh, on another issue that I care more about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes the process difficult. It makes it very difficult with freshmen. And I think a number of the eight uh, were at least relatively junior in seniority. Uh, one, of course, from Arizona was a freshman. Um, I think herding, it is called herding cats or often called that. And it is, in fact, very difficult. However, I think there are things that can be done. Uh, let me observe before I go to that one thing that's true, and that is Democrats are more... Uh, willing to be uh, managed or herded, and it's because they have this burning, this joint or common burning ideology of bigger government is better, uh, the masses aren't smart enough to take care of themselves, and politics or legislation is a team sport. So they don't pick their fights, uh, it, and they have plenty of them, uh, out in public. And they remain fairly disciplined. You saw every single one of them voted yesterday uh, to remove uh, McCarthy because some, notwithstanding the fact that some of them like him and think he's been a good speaker, but they understand, well, removing, helping the Republicans, the eight Republicans remove him was going to create chaos and make Republicans look bad. And the problem on, I think, our side of the aisle is we all or many of us are certainly proportionally more in the body, uh, Republicans are bright and think for themselves. And they define for themselves freedom, and they define for themselves small government. So getting them to agree is a much bigger challenge. One of the things that I would uh, kind of point to is that when uh, I was in these fights, and I was uh, chairman of the Republican Study Committee, uh, and we, for example, had a hard policy that we would never demand of leadership something that they could not do. Uh, And we also had a a pretty firm policy that if we disagreed with leadership, 
we would not do that in public. We would go see them uh, behind closed doors and make our case. There was one, one point in time when leadership right after uh, the uh, Republican revolution came into power was going to change one provision of the contract with America. And my class was up in arms uh, and they said, well, Chad, go go talk to him. And they sent me off to talk to Dick Army and say, look, we all voted for the uh, contract with America in the version that was published in the Reader's Digest. And we're not voting for any other version. And uh, Dick and I kind of argued back and forth. But we stopped short of swings. But we did that in his office, now out in public. And let me let me take a quick break and pick up on that with you, because yeah, I, I remember many of those uh, those efforts, and then some of them even resulted in uh, attempted pooches, p u t s c h, I think is how you spell it, and it never eventuated. That's why this was a first in history yesterday. Let me pick up on that when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Shadid, congressman uh, who represented uh, Arizona's uh, old 4th Congressional District, uh, has been our guest this hour. Thank you for your time and thought and brain on all of this, John, and uh, all your generosity. Uh, There have been, and you were uh, in the middle of a lot of these internal, um, internal fights within the party in the House of Representatives. There were attempts... Uh, I think, if memory serves, to move Gingrich. There were attempts to move Dick Army. There were attempts of all kinds that never eventuated, really, I don't think, in any kind of success. Uh, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but was Kevin McCarthy the author of his own epitaph here in consenting to allow for the motion that does call him back that he gave to Matt Gates back in January? Is that the real problem here? I don't think so. Um, most people don't realize it, but when I was in Congress and up until Nancy Pelosi became speaker, the rule was and had been for years and maybe even decades uh, that any one member could move to vacate the chair. Okay. So when I was in the House, I had the same ability to remove or to call for a vote on any given speaker uh, with just one vote, just one member. I could have done it all alone. The reality was that we had more discipline than that, and I think more respect for the institution. And uh, my class, I think, was more senior in experience, and we knew uh, that that would be a disaster. Actually, they made a point of warning us in early briefings that there were a number of things we could do. And they used to say, you can you can beat a rule if you want to, and we'll have to go solve the problem. But you can't vote for some other things, and you can't, for example, uh, move to vacate the chair without essentially giving the floor to the opposite party. Right. So we just didn't do it. I do think McCarthy may have been uh, the author of his own fate in that uh, I think he should have been... Uh, more aggressive in meeting the demands of the conservatives earlier on. Mm. For example, I think having said they were going to do all 12 bills, uh, McCarthy should have just said to him, I'm really sorry, guys, but you're not getting an August break. You're not going home for 30 or 35 Mm. days. Mm. We've told the American people we're going to pass 12 individual appropriations bills, and we're going to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then uh, I think he should have confronted them when they were picking uh, nits 
uh, as we talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. and said, you know, you're moving us towards uh, an omnibus, and you need to understand. Uh, I just think he needed uh, more strategies. Like any leader, uh, I think McCarthy had his strengths and his weaknesses. One of his strengths was being kind of a cheerful warrior when when sometimes reporters would be uh, tough on Newt, and he'd lose his temper with them. Yeah. And I'd go to his staff and say, when was the last time you saw Ronald Reagan lose his temper with right. a member of the press? Right. And Newt's staff would say, never, because yeah. you know, Reagan never let that happen. Uh, McCarthy, you know, I thought, handled the press very well because he always stayed cheerful, uh, but he remained firm. On the other hand, um, he, he did not master that conservative faction. And I grant you it's hard, but that's the job. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's weird what constitutes and how one is counted as a conservative, because in some respects, you know, with this um, a week ago, there, there was the ability to possibly debate an 8 percent across the board cut, you know, yep. and, 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 the, and Matt Gates wasn't having that. Matt Gates wasn't going for that. I, I just for fun during the break, knowing we might have this conversation, I went to the ACU ratings. Guess what? Matt Gates and Kevin McCarthy are scored exactly the same at 91 percent. Exactly the same. There you go. It's hard to say one is more conservative than the other. A lot of it might actually just be temperament. Excellent, excellent point. And one of the things, one of the reasons I'm not a fan of Matt Gates, and that preceded yesterday's uh, developments, is and this always happens in a body like this, you find members who grandstand for whom it is uh, essentially in their nature or character to uh, cram their face in front of the press at every possibility and without thinking of the consequences for the whole. Mm -hmm. I I quite frankly think Matt Gates is a self-promoter and and not thinking about the fact that this is a team. Mm -hmm. It, It doesn't matter whether it's, uh, football or basketball or politics, if you have someone on the team who decides they're more important than anybody else, and oh, by God, they're going to get in the front of the press more than anybody else. Yeah. And when they can pick a fight, they'll choose to pick it publicly rather than to pick it privately for the sake of the team. I, I think that's Matt Gates. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that's probably one of the reasons you didn't call the motions during your days in the Gingrich days or subsequent to the Gingrich days before Pelosi changed the rule is I think it would have been um, vomitous for any of you guys to think that you would succeed only by joining hands with the Democrats who had more ire for you and them than anyone else. I, that's that's I'm guessing I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, no, no. You're absolutely right. Never, never, never. Would we have done that? That's why we had uh, we had plenty of meetings, but there actually was also uh, a procedure for dealing with this issue when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, as uh, your listeners know, because they follow this, the House writes a separate rule for each and every bill that goes to the floor. Mm-hmm. And before, and it tells you how much debate time there is and what amendments will be allowed and what amendments won't be allowed. Um, before the House can debate a bill, it has to first adopt the rule. And leadership, of course, always wants you to vote yes for the rule. Mm-hmm. What we did as freshmen um, uh, was, and even sophomores and beyond that, if we were angry with leadership and we had talked to them privately 
and they wouldn't go along with us, we as a group would defeat the rule because the minority party would vote against the rule and the majority party was supposed to vote for the rule. And when we found matters that were where the leadership was just too far off base, and I could cite examples, but I won't, um, we would defeat the rule. Um, I used to call it like your mother may have had this. My mother did have it. Uh, a pressure cooker. Yeah, and right. You, you lock the top on and you put a little device on the top yep. and it made sure that there was pressure in the pot, but it didn't explode because right. it allowed some of the right. steam out. That's how we cook artichokes. Well, <laughs> defeating a rule was exactly like a pressure cooker. Yeah. We, the, the, the conservatives in my freshman class could join together and defeat a rule. The press really didn't know what it meant. We wouldn't tell them why we defeated the rule. The, the leadership wouldn't tell them why we defeated the rule. But we'd go into a conference room and we'd tell leadership why we beat the rule, what we were mad about. Of course, they already knew because we'd already made requests for change. And in those uh, uh, conference meetings, they would argue, well, you guys are wrong and, and we should have done it the way we did it. And we'd argue you were wrong. And ultimately, we would come to a compromise, which is the way it's supposed to work. We'd go back to the floor with a revised rule. We'd pass it and move on. And it was a way for a minority, like in this case as few as eight, we had much more than that, uh, could express themselves and force the system to at least listen to their arguments. Uh, Along came later in the process, I'm trying to think of it, uh, a Congressman Roy Blunt from Missouri. And Blunt became the whip, and Blunt decided, well, uh, we shouldn't have, we shouldn't ever allow anybody in the conference to vote against a rule. And if you voted against a rule, you'd be kicked out, or you'd be disciplined, or you'd lose your committee position. And I think removing that procedure where you gave people a chance to vote yes or no on a rule, and and if they voted no, causing trouble for the majority, you had to sit down and listen to them in a conference. Uh, I think taking that away from the minority, and in this case, you know, a hardcore minority, uh, made the process worse. John uh, Shattuck, I got to I got to end it there. But God bless you. This was so helpful to John. Thank you so much. We got to get you back in. There. You bet. We got to get you. All right. <laughs> thank you, John. Portions of this show brought to you by the good people at Y-Refi. They're headquartered here locally. You can visit with them. They encourage that. Uh, They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. You won't get a sales pitch. They just like telling you what it is that they do and let it speak for itself and leave the selling up to me. Y-Refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. Great if you're concerned about the things you should be concerned about, like bank failures and stock market volatility and a possible uh, recession and inflation, not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, and there's no penalty if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in the secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, a due diligence approved firm. As I say, you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI24. That's 888-YREFI24. I was thinking about this problem John Shattuck and I were talking about. We'll call it the Charles de Gaulle problem. 
How do you govern a country with 246 different cheeses? How do you have a caucus with a theme to its pudding? How do you have a unified theory of uh, the Republican Party with so many different interests and factions, as Steve Miller was pointing out last night? And the answer to that, until or unless any of you can give me a better one or can think of a better one, it seems to me, is really on us. Um, it's really on the, on, on the voters, particularly in the Republican primary, and it's on the state parties, too. You know, when someone runs, John has said this before, sometimes people run for Congress and they don't even know what party they want to be in. They figure out, at first they decide they want to run for Congress, and then too often, in many cases, they figure out what's the incumbent party and I'll just be the opposite so I can challenge them. When someone says they're a Republican, kick their tires on it. Back to what I was saying in my monologue. Ask them why. Why are you a Republican? What made you a Republican? If you are a convert to the Republican Party, so much the better in so many respects. Tell us your conversion story. Don't sit out of primaries. That's my point. Too many people I know say they don't want to get involved in primaries, but they'll be there and voting in the general election. And then November rolls around and they ask themselves, how did we get this choice? We got this choice by their own indolence, by their own laziness. Citizenship needs to be a verb, as does politics, and we all need to be involved in it. So again, when, um, when we're looking at the problem, it's in ourselves. It's not in the stars. Kick those tires and have them prove their Republican fealty to you. All right, David, thank you very much. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Leibson, and class is dismissed.